Speaking of moms, I think we probably had the most amazing kickball game ever in the history of the world a couple of weeks ago as students and parents. It was students versus parents, and moms were sacrificing their lives <laughs> on the field. I mean, no, none of us practice kickball, right? So when you give your, you know you love your kids when you're willing to step up to the plate. Moms, we are thankful for you. And I would just say that, like, the students think they should have won, but the parents won the game. The parents won. Can I get a witness? Yeah, amen. All right, okay. It doesn't mean we don't love our children. We love them. That's why we were there. But the parents won, even though the referee, first base ref, uh, clearly had no idea what he was doing. But pulling for the parents yeah, we won. I'm pretty sure we won. What was so great about the night was that it felt normal. No, it was better than normal because people were smiling, laughing, high-fiving one another, just enjoying life. Like, it was amazing to just step back and watch this happy place. And it reminded me that church is supposed to be a life-giving happy place. That is what church is supposed to be because, because our lives are grounded in the gospel of Jesus and the gospel is life-giving and it brings blessing and it brings happiness and it just, it just reminded me that church is supposed to be a life-giving family, a life-giving family. Um, and so I was just thinking about church life on the other side of COVID. What would church look like? Where's the Lord taking us? Where's the Lord taking us as a church family on the other side of, of COVID? Church health and growth experts are saying something very interesting about the future of churches. They're saying that healthy churches are going to get healthier and unhealthy churches are likely to get unhealthier. Healthier churches are likely to get healthier because they will refine and reimagine and recommit and adapt and change and, and continue to work out what it looks like to minister in this context. Unhealthy churches will likely be unwilling to make such adjustments. And I think we need to not be afraid of that as a church. And here's why we don't need to be afraid of, of change or flexing or just moving from the pivot to the euro step, right? There's another way to do this. We don't need to be threatened by this because change is not a threat to Christians. Here's what I mean. As followers of Jesus, the gospel is always changing us, right? So, so from selfish to generous, from gossip to blessing, from sarcasm to patience. We're constantly being changed, transformed by the gospel. And the church itself is, is, is like that because that's the business we traffic in. We are people being changed, and therefore the church itself is open to God remaking us and reshaping us. So here's the question I'm asking. How can we reimagine the unchanging mission of the church? 
How can we reimagine the unchanging mission of the church in this changing cultural moment? It's worth asking. I want to pick up where Brother Paul Chitwood left off last Sunday, and we're just really going to rehearse Isaiah 56, 1 through 8 again. You're like, wait, I was here last week. We did this passage. Uh, you know, well, let's do it one more time. We're going we're to do it again. You remember that pastor who preached the same sermon the next week? And they're like, why'd you, you know, why'd you preach that again? Well, when we start living it, right? Okay. So we, we want, I want to, I, I just want to drill down on this one. And I couldn't resist this opportunity to say mission of God part two and really do what Brother Paul could not do since he's not here locally, since he's not, doesn't live here. And, and we want to drill this thing down further to who we are in our context. So let me pick up where he left off in verse eight. If you've got Isaiah 56 open, verse eight. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, I'm not done gathering. I will gather yet others besides those who are already gathered. I will gather yet others besides those who are already gathered. This, is, this just reminds me of the words of Jesus, right? Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church. This is God speaking in Isaiah 56. I will gather yet others. I will bring more home. Let me review just very briefly what we learned last week. First point, the mission of God. We learn from Isaiah 56 that God never stops calling people to return to him through his word, through the prophets, including Isaiah, and now through his people, his disciples, ambassadors of hope, that's me and you. And we're answering the question, why are we still here? This is what, this is what Brother Paul asked us last week. Why are we still here? What are we doing here? Why, why are we still here? Why didn't God just take us to heaven? That would be easier. Get saved and go live with Jesus forever. It'd be less complicated because there are so many more yet to gather. And this was the beautiful thing. This is the thing that I love the most about last week. What I learned last week was God's not just saying to the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, there's a place for you. He's not just saying to the eunuch or slave, there's a place for you in my house better than sons and daughters, verse five. He's not just saying that. It went further into verse seven. Like, I love this. So I love foreigners. I love people who've come out of slavery into freedom. I love people who've discovered what it means to worship love and devote themselves to me. I love them so much, not just my own nation, not just my own people. I love them so much that I'm gonna rename my house and call it a house of prayer for all peoples. That's technical language in the Old Testament. All peoples is technical language for all ethnicities, all people of the world, every race, every tribe, every tongue. We learned that God so values all people that he's willing to bring the stranger, the foreigner, into his house and not just stop there, but I'm gonna rename, verse seven, 
end of verse 7, I'm going to rename my house in your honor. Could you imagine being adopted into a family and you've never really had a place to live, you never really had consistent meals, but now you're part of the family and, and they're getting ready to repaint the house and everybody sits down and they're like, you're, part, you're the newest member of the family, we're going to repaint the house, guess who gets to choose the color? You do. We're going to have a feast tonight and we're going to celebrate what God's doing in our family, guess who gets to choose the meal? It's your night. Italian, Asian, American Fusion, Wings, it's your call. Like, I've never, never before been recognized as a person, and you're letting me all the way in? You're going to let me be part of, like, this is my place too? That's where Brother Paul took us last week. It's always been the mission of God to bring all people, no matter what race or class, back to himself. That is the mission of God. That is the mission of God. And so as we, as we think about uh, our mission of a, uh, as a church, like wh so what are we about? How do we, th yeah, what should we do? Point number two, the mission of the church comes out of the mission of God. How could the church be about anything but the mission of God? And so, since the Bible's a big book, as often as we can, we want to get themes that help us to kind of get a handle on it. This is one of those themes. This is a big picture theme in the Bible. Like, over and over and over again, you will discover that the mission of God is, is the impulse and the heart beating behind, like, the whole trajectory of Scripture. And so the mission of the church comes out of the mission of the God, uh, out of the mission of God. Another way to say it is to read verse eight like this. Look at verse eight with me. The Lord God declares, "I will gather yet others besides those already gathered. I'm going to gather to myself a people. I'm going to make myself a people. The church, if you're looking for a good, holistic, biblical def definition of the church, what is the church? Who are we? What are we supposed to be? Gathering, in one word, will help you with that. Gathering is who the church is and what the church does. God is gathering people to himself. What is the church? The church is, a, is an organization that is about gathering people to God. The church is about gathering. It's who we are and it's what we do. Are you with me? We're, we're, we're not just, like we, we have to be something before we can go and do it. So we are the gathered people of God under Christ, confessing our faith and hope in Him, saved, rescued, reconciled, adopted, beloved, holy, all those things the New Testament talks about over and over again. We are those God has gathered to himself. Now what do we do? We go and we're part of, verse 8, the gathering of those who have not yet been gathered. Besides, it says, those already here. God is gathering more than exiles from Babylon. Babylon in Isaiah 56. He's gathering more than foreigners. He's gathering more than slaves or eunuchs. 
it says in verse 6, everyone. It says in verse 7, all peoples. This is the mission of God. It must be the mission of the church. It needs to be the mission of the church. Like if we stop being the gathered people and reaching others and gathering them to Christ, we've completely like just close up shop and sell it to the new organization that's going to do something else. The building. I guess you can't sell the people. This is the mission of God. See if you agree with this. The most important characteristic of an effective missionary. Think about missionaries that you know. Think about missionaries that you respect or you've read about or you know personally. The most important characteristic of an effective missionary, like the Apostle Paul, is a willingness to become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, Paul says. All for the sake of the gospel. All things, all people, by all means, all for the sake of the gospel. And when Paul says I might, that I might save some, he doesn't mean that he thinks he can save people. He's talking about getting the gospel into their lives so Christ can save them. Willing to do really anything to connect with people. And, and immediately so we, we kind of hesitate and think, is Paul capitulating to the world? Or compromising his commitment to identify with people? He's not. He's not. He's learning how to translate the gospel into their brokenness. He's learning how to translate the gospel into their identity, ethnicity, race, cultural context, class, gender. Like Paul would go to every single person he could meet and he would say, okay, where do they live? How do they operate? How do I talk to them about Christ? All right, new person. Where does he live? Where does he operate? How do I talk to him about Christ? Okay, new person. Whoa, very different. This person's really wealthy. That guy was poor. He doesn't have anything. This guy's really wealthy. How do I talk to both of them? I become all things to all people that I might somehow help them discover Christ is what they need. Christ is what they long for. So gathering people who have not yet been gathered, like that's what we're about. That's the mission of the church. Grounded in the mission of God. Grounded in the love of God for all people. All right, now, so here's the third point. And I'm just I'm kind of doing this, if you, look, if you look this way. I'm going from big picture, whole Bible, mission of God, to mission of the church, using the word gathering as a cue that holds the Old and New Testament together. And if you want to press into that in terms of word study, it'll make a lot of sense, but we won't do it this morning. Number three, the mission of this church, our church on this corner. Now, I know that the church is a people, not a place, but we gather in this place, and so I'm going to refer to it as like this intersection, this corner. It's, but the heartbeat of this place is this room full of people, because I'm here during the week, and this room's not full of people, and it, it's not effective. It's kind of boring, by the way, to walk around this room on a Tuesday morning. There's nobody here. Okay, are you with me? The mission, what's the mission of this church? So, as we rediscover on the other side of COVID that we want to be one of the healthy churches getting healthier, 
We want to follow Christ into the brokenness. Now, let me show you what I think is a really helpful, like, compass for that. Flip forward to 61. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And in our study of Isaiah, we've discovered that this is a really important passage, not just because Jesus opens the book, the scroll, in Nazareth and reads it, not just because it was the verse of the day at that synagogue. That's not what I'm saying. It's because he opened it and said, this book is about me. Jesus, the Son of God, would stand before the people in Nazareth in that synagogue and say, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, 61.1, because the Lord has anointed me. He's chosen me. He set me aside to go be the Messiah. I am the Messiah. That's what he's saying. Like Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah standing in front of these people. And guess what God has sent me to do? Bring good, bring good news to those who are suffering, the afflicted. Some translations read the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, people who are deeply broken. Life has not turned out like they thought it would. He sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom. Oh, who doesn't want freedom from captivity, spiritual, emotional, physical, whatever the captivity is. And Jesus has all of these things in mind. We know that because he goes around touching and healing and blessing and being in people's lives. He's not just letting people out of physical prisons. He's changing lives. And he's opening the door to those who are bound. So, the mission of the church and the mission of this church should be to follow Christ into the brokenness and say, look, he's the good news. He's the healer. He's the one, right? That's what we want to do. God is calling us to be Christ to this community, a compassionate force for justice and evangelism and blessing and investment in the common good of this Cape Spring community, to help our people, like as we learned from Isaiah 58, our flesh, our humanity, the, the, the students in this school, that, 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 that this, the, the teachers in this school, the, the people who live all around, the neighbors on our streets, they are, they're our people. Well, they're not my people. Man, they don't act like me. They're not my kind of people. Oh, they're your people. They're your people. They are our people. So, Castle Rock, just kind of drawing a big circle this way, Castle Rock up to Canterbury and Steeplechase and just moving around, Bridalwood, Back Creek, Penn Forest, Hunting Hills, Pebble Creek, Garst Mill, Windsor Hills, Greater Dyerly, Hidden Valley, huge circle around, say, two, three, four miles out from this point. These are our people. And in every single one of these neighborhoods, every single one, without fail, there are senior adults who are lonely or just need help cleaning the gutters. There are people with disabilities who can't find their place in society. 
There are unwanted pregnancies, unwanted divorces. There's not a single neighborhood I just mentioned that is not marked by these things. Single parents, especially single moms trying to navigate life. Teens, cutting, inflicting pain on themselves. Yelling with such rage and anger at their parents. It doesn't matter what zip code you're in or which one of these neighborhoods you're in. These things are happening on every street. Domestic abuse. A child, a daughter, living in fear for her mother, whether or not she would be, whether the mother would be beaten or hit again the night before Mother's Day. How jacked up is that? Alcohol addiction, opioid abuse, all of the things I'm describing are happening in every single neighborhood. And we are, uh, Brother Paul said last week, you know, one of the main reasons we don't do this is because we're afraid we'll risk, it'll be too risky, it'll be too risky and we'll get hurt. And that is true. I think he's exactly right about that. There's also another reason we don't get involved. It's because it's just, it's just, it's too time consuming. It's too complicated. I don't have time to interrupt my life to help. My life's broken. I don't have time to help somebody else with their broken life. So, confession. Yesterday I was leaving the rack, Carillion Wellness, and I sensed the Lord wanting me to speak to somebody who I haven't talked to in a long time. And so I went out, and I was kind of on the fence about it. You know, because pastors don't always feel like talking to people. Is that legal? So I'm like, this is going to get complicated fast. And then by the time I got out to the T-Dub, I was there trying to get my gear together, and I'm like, man, Lord, if you bring them back out, I'll talk to them. They come walking out the door. <laughs> so I went up to this guy that I haven't had a conversation with in three, four years. I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing much better now. I said, are you, are you dry? He said, yeah. I said, I've been going through a recent struggle with my own very close friend who's come out of a severe alcohol addiction. Man, I, I feel for you. Don't you be afraid to come back to this church. If anybody shames you one ounce, you let us know we're going to put them in a headlock. We're going to take them down to Chinatown. Don't you be afraid to come back. Everybody's coming back to church right now. You come back. Don't you be afraid to bring your brokenness to this place. Amen. We're, like we're getting into this and it's starting to get messy, you know. And 
Here's why we don't do it. I'm telling you, I'm confessing for you, so if you like it, sign it. We don't have time because we're too busy building our next thing, our kingdom, going through another year of whatever we're going to do, whatever we're going to accumulate, whatever we're going to accomplish, and the people who need Christ are your neighbors in your parking lots. And we don't have time for them because we're too busy. We're just too busy doing our stuff. And what's your stuff going to do in the end? If it's not tied to building what God is building and gathering a people to Himself. Man, we so need to be interruptible. We so need to carve out time. Well, if I knew, if I knew this week that if I knew this week that I was going to have a chance or two, I'd go ahead and build my schedule accordingly. For all the type A calendar management folks out there, it's going to happen. I'm telling you it's coming. So build the margin in right now and ask God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear and a willingness to step into somebody's life. Is it going to get messy? Absolutely. How, clean, how cleaned up were you before you came to Jesus? Did you have everything figured out? Got everything organized? Came to church? Joined the church? That's not the gospel. So, we need to say, God, in this cultural moment, coming out of COVID and, and healthy churches getting healthier, Lord, protect us from not being an unhealthy church, unwilling to change, unwilling to roll up our sleeves, unwilling to really get into the mess. So there's a couple things I want to suggest. And we're going to talk more about these as we go through the summer and come into the fall. But let me just preview uh, in whatever little time we have left. I don't know what time it is, but whatever time we have left. We got another five or ten, Robert. We good? Okay. <laughs> yeah. He gave me the nod. Um, Robert is now in, t- in charge of church time. All right. So um, we need to do two things. We need to discover need like never before. Ask God to give us eyes to see and to discover the need on our streets in our neighborhoods. We do not want to assume we know what the needs are. Well, we know they need Christ. We know they need the gospel. Yeah, but, but how are we going to get in, right? That's the question. How are we going to get in? How are we going to get a passport? How are you going to get your passport stamped so you can enter into that conversation and that relationship? We need to meet them at the intersection of their need. We've been learning from Isaiah that God is pleased to meet and awaken people to himself when we meet at the intersection of need. When we meet God and other people at this intersection of need, things, amazing things happen. So we don't want to assume we know what every family needs. What every, so we want to listen well. We want to hear well. We're going to start getting more and more engaged with the community to discover need, to listen, to hear. Um, if you're interested in that and you hear us talking about this, please step into that. Say, hey, I'm interested in being part of this, this discovery phase, this discovery idea. Um, I, want to, I want to be part of that. Talk to us. Let us know that. We need to start thinking about need in a fresh way. Here's the second thing we want to do. We want to rethink our strategy 
and our resources. And by that, we mean let's think outside of the box. Let's, let's talk to local schools. Let's talk to the police department let's t- across the street. Let's talk to the, uh, the annex right here, the satellite. Let's talk to local biblical counselors who are in people's lives every day. Let's talk shop and strategize with people who know what the brokenness looks like. Because the brokenness today is different than it was, you know, in one way. I mean, in another way it's not. But we've never seen the kind of crisis we've seen today with regard to certain things. And we want to ask God to help us see into that and so we're rethinking strategy, but we also want to re- rethink resources. And by resources, we mean human resources, financial resources, facility resources. Here, our church, human resources. Our church family is incredibly gifted. You are incredibly creative and gifted. And, and if willing to roll up your sleeves, we could mobilize, we could mobilize human resources to make a difference. Financial resources for us to be generous and not stingy with our money to see the gospel change people. And with our facility, we, like we've got an amazing facility. What would it look like for us to, for one example, and there are many things we could talk about today, right? So we're not just talking about this, but one example would be what would it look like if we reimagined the, what we call the Family Life Center, the, the FLC. If you've been around for a while, people say the FLC. They mean the Family Life Center down here, this, this bottom third of the church. Uh, what would it look like for that to become a side door, uh, a hub of activity and life and energy Monday through Saturday where we're engaging the community? What would it look like if that space was more like a community center than, say, Um, a church feel, you know? What would it look like for a community center to kind of blossom there where people feel very welcome, where where internationals could learn English and senior adults can take classes and single moms could have a cup of coffee and a conversation with their counselor who just spent an hour with their son or daughter because life has been just so messed up for them. What would that look like? A place where people with disabilities would not be embarrassed or ashamed, but could be ministered to freely? We need to dream about this. Dream about what it would look like to help those who are hurting. You say, well, you know, I, I got some hurts myself. I got to get myself together before. You know, that's, that's I got to get, I got to, I got my hurts are so deep and I'm, my life is so complicated. I can't help anybody else right now. Please don't wait. What if God met you in the healing? What if God used you to help someone else and in that helping, he, he awakened your heart? This happens to people all the time, by the way, who discover what it means to serve other people. Jesus would go around saying things like this, it's better to give than to what? Receive. Was he just talking about money? I don't think so. Let's dream about what God 
might do with us and take us into a new season, a new awakening as a people, as a church. Now, if we do this, it might, it, it's going to come with some risk. I know it's going to come with some risk. It's going to be challenging, and it, it will require time and energy and constant recalibration, and it'll definitely be risky. Let me give you an example. Some of you know a little bit about this story, Chuck Smith. This is from Ray Ortland's book, his commentary on Isaiah, which I highly recommend, by the way. Uh, if you're looking for a way to dive deep into Isaiah after this series, Ray Ortland's book on the book of Isaiah. And he tells this story. He says, Chuck Smith was pastoring, and Ray was, Ray was there. He was familiar with it. He was present for some period of time. He says this, Chuck Smith was pastoring a little church in Costa Mesa, California in the late 60s, not far from the beach. And God began to pour out his spirit among teenagers. And they got saved. And they were coming to church, lots of them. But there was a problem. Because the, de the oil deposits off the coast of California, they bubble up little globs of oil about the size of a quarter. And when they get stuck to your foot on the beach, you take it with you. You see where this is going. These kids started coming to church. And they come in without shoes on, with little globs of oil on the bottom of their feet, and mess up the brand new carpet. They didn't know they were supposed to wear shoes, he says. All they knew was Jesus is out of sight. He's cool. God was gathering outsiders. It was beautifully authentic. But the new carpets were getting ruined. One Sunday morning, Pastor Chuck arrived at church to find a sign, a new sign posted outside. What do you think it said? Shirts and shoes, please. At least they added please. Shirts and shoes, please. Pastor Chuck had a decision to make. What would you have done? What do you think? Keep the sign or don't keep the sign? He took it down. That was a bold move. He took the sign down. And then he called for the leaders of the church to have a meeting after the service. He said, God's doing something here. We can get in the way or we can get out of the way. And God used that little church to bring an awakening to Christ. Ortland says, the breakthrough came when they chose to care about what God cares about more than anything else. That's authenticity. A house of prayer gathering in everyone who will enjoy Christ with us. It's not going to come without risk. We don't have it all figured out. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. But we do know this. We need to ask God in this moment, awaken us to roll up our sleeves and meet people at the intersection of their need. There is so much waiting for us there. And there's like nothing will make you happier and more satisfied. This is the deep irony of it. 
Nothing will satisfy you more than really activating the gospel in your life as you minister and give yourself away to someone else. So I want to pray for us this morning that God will just show us, clearly show us as a people how we can surrender ourselves to Him and to an awakening to His purposes. I want to pray for you. And some of you maybe need to say to the Lord this morning, I've been messing around with Christianity and and not taking it seriously. Lord, I want that to change. Could I pray for you too? Let's pray together. God, gather your people to your purposes, for your glory. Make us a beautiful bride of Christ. And make us like Jesus, willing to go among and minister to and feel the hurt of the good news to the, help us to bring good news to the suffering and bind up broken hearts and proclaim freedom. Oh God, how we want freedom. We don't want religion anymore. We want freedom in Christ. Please give that to us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.